Hebrews chapter 8. Are you there? Who's there? Say amen. All right. In verse 6, I want to read to you out of verse 6, Hebrews chapter 8. It says, but now, actually I'm going to read it to you out of the NLT. But now Jesus, our high priest, being given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who meditates for us as far, a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Can I read that again? Let me read it again. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who meditates, or mediates, excuse me, for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Verse 7 says, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would be no need for a second covenant to replace it. So you remember John the Baptist, he preached, he came and he preached the kingdom of heaven is near. He told everyone, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the one that everybody prophesied about, I'm not the guy, there's somebody coming after me, right? And so then Jesus came in the next chapter, and Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, no longer is it near, it's here. And so what is he saying? He's saying that you've been in an old covenant, You've had an old covenant that you've been a part of, that you've been operating in, that you've been functioning in, but a new covenant has come, a new kingdom. You know, a testament or a will is no good until the person that wrote the will dies. That's what has to happen, right? Is that when a person dies, suddenly their will is brought into motion. And that's what happened when Jesus died, suddenly a new covenant has come into play. And so it's amazing because we have better promises, we have a better mediator of the covenant, and we have someone who is not dead, but someone who has come back to life, and he's the priest forever. See, in the old covenant, the priests all died. None of them lived. And so that's why Jesus is able to be this priest that lives forever, and he's the one that's able to mediate this covenant. And it's a new covenant. And so, in essence, what we have, if we have the same God in the, new, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but we have a different covenant. God didn't change, the covenant changed. Okay? That's why sometimes we look back in the Old Testament and we see a God in the Old Testament and go, oh, that's a different than what, you know, I read about in the New Testament. It's because God didn't change, the covenant changed. Does that make sense? So in that, I want to talk a little bit about that, that we have the same God, but we have a better covenant. I don't know about you. I'm I'm a classic car enthusiast. Enthusiast, okay? That doesn't mean that I understand everything about old cars. But my dad was a drag racer. He loved to drag race. And so, I, you know, when I was a little guy, three years old, we used to go and we'd watch the drag races. We'd sit in the stands and we'd watch my dad time out his car. He was a Mopar guy. He had the old uh, Dodge Challenger, the old Dodge Dart, you know, with the 302. And it sounded like, gla- you know, they had the glass packs. And when he would warm it up at five in the morning, every, the whole neighborhood here heard it. You know, remember back then. But one thing about those old cars, they were really fast, but you had to keep them straight. Okay, because they were not very maneuverable. 
If you ever watch the old movies, you see the car sliding all around. The suspension was not great, was it? And so why do the new cars, why are they so much more maneuverable? They are under a new and better technology. Does that make sense? New and better technology so they can take turns and they can weave in and out of stuff. And those old cars, you just slide all around, you know. And I remember my dad, I wanted to buy an old classic car. I found his car. I did. He had, a, he had a Dodge Dart, and I remember I found the same car, and I wanted to buy it. And Dad goes, Phil, you don't want to buy a car. I said, that car. I said, why not? He said, because it drives like an old car. <laughs> well, so why would we want to live in an old covenant when God has called us to a new covenant? Why would we want to live the old way where it's, about, it's all about the rules and the regulations when we can come into a new covenant and have relationship. So then we're operating out of love instead of I have to because this covenant didn't work. This covenant, I mean, we, saw, we read it all through the Old Testament. The Israelites couldn't obey the covenant. They couldn't keep the commands. Why? No, they, don't, they needed the new covenant. They needed the grace of God. We need the grace of God. We can't live the way that we need to without being empowered by grace. You can't do it. We can, we can come up with ideas. One of, the, one of the mistakes that we've made as Christians is going back and studying a fallen man. You know, we're looking at the first Adam, we're studying a fallen man instead of imitating Christ, the perfect man. That's what God has called us unto. Is that making sense? Okay. All right. So, turn over to John chapter 8. I want to look at John chapter 8. I told you I was going to go there. John chapter 8. Look at verse 3. This is an interesting story because here Jesus is teaching in the temple. And so... The, uh, the religious leaders, they all come in and they're trying to entrap Jesus. So this is entrapment that's coming on the way. And what Jesus does is he uses it as an opportunity to teach the kingdom. And so they come in and in John chapter 8, look at verse 3. It says, as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. And so, I, you know, of course, my first question is, where's the man? You can't have adultery by yourself. You can't commit adultery by yourself. That takes two, right? So there's no man here. And so Jesus turns, and he's going to use this as an illustration. It's really good what he does. And in verse 4, he's, they say, teacher. They said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says that we should stone her. But what do you say? See, this is, what does religious spirit do with the problem? What does a religious spirit does? Listen to this. This is so good. A religious spirit will try to show that it is right by how well it judges what's wrong. A religious spirit will try to show that it is right by how well it judges what's wrong. But in Romans 2, it talks about how it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's not God's ability to point out what's wrong in you that brought you into the kingdom, is it? No, it's the goodness 
of God that leads men to repentance. What is his goodness? His goodness is that he forgives you anyway. That he forgave me anyway. All the crazy stuff that I did, all the goofiness that's in my life, all the things that I did wrong that were contrary to the word of God, he forgave that. He wiped the slate clean and said, I've now made you righteous in my sight. Man, that's the goodness of God, knowing that you can come to God and you can receive forgiveness. Isn't that good? Man, big deal, okay. So, yeah. (laughs) So religion focuses on what's wrong. God focuses on what's good. So pointing out what's wrong with others, this is a demonic concept. Why? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So you're imitating Satan when we're pointing out things that are wrong in other people. That's not what God does. Conviction is a completely different design. Conviction always leads you to salvation. It always leads you to a place of being right and in right relationship. That's what conviction is designed to do. Condemnation, on the other hand, that's stuff that's designed to drag you down, to keep you bound, frustrated, disappointed. We have so many Christians that are frustrated, disappointed, discouraged, and we shouldn't be. Okay, next verse. Let's read verse 6. It says, They were trying to trap him into saying something. That they, could, that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he began to wrote or, or to write with his finger in the dust. You know what? Probably help if I put my glasses on. How about that? So, <laughs> so here's good news. You don't have to answer every question that comes your way. When somebody comes and they want to entrap you, they want to say something to you, it's okay not to answer. Right away, you don't have to. And so Jesus stoops down and he starts writing in the dirt. And verse 7 says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let, let, the, one, uh, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he leaned back down and started writing in the dust again. So while others are slinging mud, God is slinging grace. So it's up to you which one that you're going to use in your life which one you're going to believe. Verse nine, so when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And so Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? She said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Again, this is the good news of the gospel. I forgive you. I don't condemn you either. And he said, go and sin no more. So he wasn't saying she didn't sin. He was acknowledging, you did sin, just go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Man, that's such a blessing. So even in this situation, Jesus is showing this better covenant. He's teaching a better covenant. He went down, in fact, turn over to Matthew 5, and I just want to touch on a couple of things. And then we're going to spend some time praying together. Because I feel like we need to. Matthew 
Matthew 5, look at verse 21. Jesus is teaching the difference between the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, the Old Testament, the New Testament. He says here in verse 21, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, he who is even angry with his brother is in danger of the judgment. So he's showing you the comparison, the difference between the two. He says in verse 27, don't commit adultery. He said, but I say to you, you've heard that in the past, but I say to you, even if you look at a woman to lust after, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. He goes on to say in 33, he says, don't, fair, don't swear falsely. He said, but I say to you, don't swear at all. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. This would really go a long way with some folks. Just letting your yes be yes and your no, no. I'll try. Okay. Verse 43, love your neighbor. And hate your enemy, you've heard that said. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Wow. See, the Old Testament is justification, but the New Testament is about forgiveness. In the Old Covenant, it was all about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But now in the New Covenant, it's about forgiveness. It's about walking in love. Man, it's so easy to say, hey, walk in love with people. That is so easy to say. Go ahead, Rebecca, you can come on out. Until you get smacked in the face. You know, I liked what Mike Tyson said. He said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. You ever been punched in the face before? I mean, where your eyes tear up? I, we, I had this idea one time that me and a friend of mine were going to spar together, and he had some gloves, and so we put the gloves on, and everything was fun when we were dancing around until he popped me in the, in the nose, and I mean, I couldn't even see where he was after that, because man, my ear, my eyes watered up, and suddenly, this new man showed up, I didn't realize was down on the inside of me, and I started wailing on him, and he just leaned over like this and I mean I was just boom boom because why I had a plan until I got punched in the mouth I'm telling you it, it doesn't it's so easy to say hey we're Christians we should walk in love with people we should walk in forgiveness but when the hurt comes and you have to overcome the hurt and say you know what I choose to forgive I knew this one person that they, uh, they had a uh, spouse cheat on them. They caught their spouse in the act. And she was hurt. I mean, it, it just destroyed. So much trust, all the years of marriage, the hurt. And I remember she said to me, she said, I don't know that I could forgive him. And I got to be honest, I, I couldn't identify with it. You know, I, I'm on my best day. I, I've tried to really place myself in her shoes, tried to think, what would that be like if I'd been married to someone for all these years? And then I caught him doing that. What would that, what must that feel like? And then, and so I begin to understand a little bit her statement. I don't think I could forgive her forgive him and I thought you know you have to do it by faith 
And that's easy for me to say. But you know, Jesus told us never to fight the devil. He, he, he didn't tell us to fight people. He told us to fight the good fight of faith. What is the good fight of faith? What is that? It's deciding and determining I'm going to walk in love even though I don't feel love for this person. I'm going to walk in forgiveness even though I don't feel the forgiveness, but I'm going to do it by faith. And I'm going to choose to forgive because I don't want that bitterness to come into me and to fester and to produce in me. Nicole has a saying that I like. It's not easy, but it it is simple. It's simple to forgive someone. Walking it out isn't always easy.